all yours. <laughs> Good morning. Isn't this a great weekend where we celebrate work by not doing any? It's uh, really nice to uh, be here with you today. I'm Mike Mahorder. I, am, um, I pastored for a little over 40 years and then decided it was time for a change. And uh, two years ago, I left uh, the church I was pastoring in Ladner and um, I, I joined the team at Fellowship Pacific. So I've been working there for the last two years. And um, part of that job is, uh, is to mentor Immerse students. And so I am one of David's Immerse uh, mentors along with, um, along with Brent. Uh, I've married, I have four kids, 21 grandkids, that's my claim to fame. Um, a few years ago, I decided to go back to school, and um, when I started my program, I had two grandkids, and when I finished, I had 13. Now, my kids say it's because I'm a slow learner, which is probably true, but the fact that there's 21 now would indicate there's more to the story. Um, it's really nice to actually be here in person. Last summer, I was supposed to be here and uh, even got all the way. Actually, I mixed up the address. I rode my motorcycle. I ended up in Brent's neighborhood. Um, I sat there too long trying to figure out where I was going, and my motorcycle died. And uh, fortunately, I had sent a video on ahead. Of course, David gave me all kinds of grief about having an illustration about having your car break down. He thought that was pretty funny. And uh, my wife, Kathy, has had a lot of fun with it this week. I told her earlier this week that I was going to ride my motorcycle, and she said, uh, I'm not coming to pick you up if there's a problem. <laughs> and then this morning, she said, Do you know, are you sure you got the right address? Because there's no video backup this week. So anyway. Uh, You've been in a series over uh, this summer on the way of wisdom through Proverbs chapter 3, and, um, and I am going to continue that series today talking about living with generosity. Um, Brent's actually pretty shrewd, you know. Um, he left, he got out of Dodge and let me talk about money. So... Uh, um, that was, that, that was pretty smart on his part. You know, pastors are typically a bit shy about talking about money. Um, we're sensitive to people's idea in our communities that the church is just out for your money. And we don't want to, and we're nervous about being lumped in with TV evangelists who are constantly asking for money. And we realize this is also just a very personal subject. And some take it very personally. I think every time I talked about money, it offended somebody in my church. So we'll close the doors, bar them. Nobody can leave the room until I'm all done. Now, on the other hand, the Bible has a lot to say about money. There are over 450 separate biblical passages that deal with the subject of money. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell about sexual immorality, or violence. Nearly one-sixth of his recorded statements concern finances. 
and at least 16 of his 29 parables refer to money. So it seems appropriate to talk about it periodically from the pulpit. Money's a major factor in all of our lives. We spend much of our time and energy earning it. We need it. We need it to buy what we need and what we want. We feel more secure when there's, when there's money in the bank. And we struggle physically and spiritually and mentally when we don't have enough. We have concerns about spending money wisely. Most marriage conflicts revolve around money. And most people I know never quite have enough. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about money, about earning it, saving it, investing it, spending it, and giving it away. And there are two passages in Proverbs 3 that deal with money, verses 9 and 10 and verses 27 and 28. So let's take a look at them. The first one is Hebrews 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And we're going to come back to this verse, so we're going to move on to the next one. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Now, these two passages look at two different aspects of generosity. Generosity toward God and generosity toward others. We're going to look at this last passage briefly first and then look more closely at the first one. Notice that it's talking here about sharing what we have, either with people that we owe, like employees or people we've borrowed money from, or those in need. Now, this is part of a larger context. If, you're, if you've uh, looked in your Bibles or in your devices to Proverbs 3, you'll see verses 27 to 31 all deal with treating people right. And they all start with do not. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those who are either owed it or need it. Verse 28, do not put your neighbor off if you're able to help. Verse 29, do not plot harm against your neighbor. Verse 30, do not accuse anyone for no reason. And verse 31, do not envy the violent or act like them. So these are all how we are not to treat each other. Now this injunction in, in verses, no, come back, in verses 27 and 28, thank you, Harvey, you're just right on the ball. <laughs> it comes out of the law. In Leviticus 19.13, it says, do not defraud or rob your neighbor, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. And Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15 says, Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they're poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Now, you remember the parable that Jesus told of the, of the owner who would go out and went to the market area where 
laborers would gather and he hired people to come work in his vineyard and he went out several times during the day to hire more workers and at the end of the day they all lined up to get their wages that was just that was the way it worked back there because they needed that money to be able to provide food for their families then in Deuteronomy 15 the law addresses the poor and needy in the land verses 7 and 8 if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And then verses 10 and 11 say, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Now, notice the language that he uses here. Don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, but be open-handed and generous. And there's a promise in there that God will bless us if we do that. So that's the context to this, these verses in in Proverbs 3, being generous toward others, toward those in need. How do we live generously with other people? Um, how, how, do we, how do we help those who are in need? Sponsor children or give or volunteer. One of the things that I always struggle with is when I'm when I'm downtown Vancouver and there are panhandlers along the road. How, how, they're obviously in need. How, how do we handle that? I've always struggled with that. If I give them money and they go use it for drugs, am I enabling them? Um, and yet they're obviously hungry. Uh, it's not always convenient for me to take them into a food place and buy them food. But how do we, how do we not be tight-fisted and stingy toward those who are in need. How can we be open-handed and, and generous? Um, now let's go back and look at that first passage on living generously toward God in verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now this passage also comes out of the law. Leviticus 27, verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And then Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 and 23 says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. This is an interesting passage, because notice, they would bring these tithes to the tabernacle, or later to the temple, and they would have a party there in God's presence. They would have a feast. They would eat and drink what they had brought as, as their offering. And it says here that the purpose of that was so that they would learn to revere the Lord. Now this passage goes on to say 
that every third year they were to bring these first fruits to their own towns and give them to the Levites. The Levites were the Israelite tribe that was responsible for their worship. And that these offerings were then to be used to support the Levites as well as to provide help to the needy in their area. So that forms a backdrop for our passage. Let's see what these two verses say in more detail. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now there are three parts in this passage about living with generosity that I want to just touch on for a few moments. The first is our motive for giving. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Remember in the Deuteronomy 14 passage, it said that they were to bring their offerings like that so that they would learn to revere the Lord. Now, giving does a lot of things for us. It helps others. It feels good. It extends the ministry of your church. But ultimately, giving is about honoring God. Giving is an act of worship. It is thanking God for his provision. It's reaffirming our dependence on him. It's bringing a gift to him. And it's easy to give as a habit or out of a sense of duty. And that makes it even harder with online giving. Um, so we need to consciously worship God with our giving. But when you give to your church, you are giving to God. And when you help someone who is in need, you are giving to God. And a question that I need to be asking, constantly asking, is how can I honor God with my wealth? Um, I, in my devotions this week, I read those passages in Deuteronomy 14 and 15. I'm working through Deuteronomy, but I also am working through the book of Luke. And I read a, for a couple of days Luke 12, where Jesus is reminding them, don't worry about all the things that, you know, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Um, you know, God will take care of you. So sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And uh, so uh, Kathy and I have had some conversations about this. Is, you know, how do we, at this stage in our life, when we're actually doing quite well financially, how do we, how do, how do we, be good followers of Jesus? How do we live gener with generosity in that? The second thing I want us to see about this passage is the priority of giving. It says to bring your first fruits. So they gave to God right off the top. In my first church, um, back in uh, Toronto, I had a deacon who, who said to me one time, that uh, the way he figured out how much to tithe was that they, he would, they would get their, in their pay, their paychecks, he and his wife, and um, they would sit down and they would figure out all of the bills that they had to pay, and then they would pay them, and then, then with what was left, they would figure out what they were going to give. Um, I didn't say anything to him, I was thinking some things, but I didn't say anything because this was a man who loved God and, and faithfully served him. He had a family, he was, and, and this was back in the early 80s in, when interest rates were in the high 
you know, 18%, 19%. And um, so people who had variable rate mortgages on their houses were just, were just struggling to keep up. But if, if I had lived my life that way, I never would have had anything to give. Um, Kathy and I both grew up in homes where giving to God was, a, was, it was important. It was a high priority. And so when we got married, there was never any question that we would tithe. We had grown up that way, so it was something we both valued. And for years, we scraped by with very little. Um, Kathy would... would this was back when you actually you paid for your bills by check. You remember those days? Some of you don't remember them. You were you came along after that point. But Kathy would uh, would fill the, you write the checks for the bills, and she would wait to mail them until just before the next check came, and she would mail them. So we always were just barely keeping up. I was like one of those laborers who was standing in line at the end of the day waiting for, waiting for money so I could go buy food for the family, and uh, and yet God. You know, we had to give first because we wouldn't have had anything to give. And so we chose to sacrifice that way. And God always met our needs. He always met our needs. And he has blessed us through that time. Which brings us to the third part of this verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then the next word is then. There is a blessing in giving. There's a promise to this command. He said that if you... Honor the Lord with your wealth. Your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. God promises to bless our giving. He will not be outgiven. Now, that's not the reason why we give. That's the wrong motive. Our motive needs to be to give honor to God and to revere Him. But He promises a blessing if we are faithful and generous living for Him. Now, the pattern, this pattern of giving to the Lord to honor Him as a first priority, only to experience His blessing in return, is repeated over and over in Scripture. You might want to write some of these references down and reflect on them later, because I'm just going to rip through them right now. But in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, we read, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love the picture of that. You bring a, 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 a bucket of, of offering to God, and then he takes it, and then he starts to put stuff in, but he doesn't just fill the bucket, he shakes it so that it settles down, he pushes it down, and he, and he fills it until it's running over. In Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10, God says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This, this passage shows that God take our, takes our giving to him very seriously. 
but he also promises to bless. You know, I can find a number of places in the Bible where we're told not to test God, not to put God to the test, not to tempt him. But here, he specifically challenges them to put him to the test, to test him in this matter of generosity. Now, you might be thinking, that's all good. You've given us a bunch, several scripture passages that show how God promises to bless us when we're faithful to him in generosity, but they're all in the Old Testament. I want to look at one more in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. Paul writes here, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now the context of this passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is raising money to help Christians in Jerusalem who are going through a particularly rough time. And so he's sending Titus to the, the Corinthian church to help them collect what they're going to be giving. So this is a special situation, but there are principles that, that would apply to giving in general. He starts out by giving them the law of the harvest. This is just a simple statement of fact. You reap what you sow. If, if I want to harvest, to harvest a big crop, then I have to plant more. If I choose to scrimp on the seed that I plant, I won't have as much harvest. It's just a very simple principle. You, you reap what you sow. And Paul is applying it here to giving. He's saying we reap what we sow in our generosity too. If we sow sparingly, we reap gener uh, sparingly. If we sow generously, we reap generously. And then he tells us that we are to decide in our heart what to give and then give it. A couple things about this. In the Old Testament, the the, the tithe was the, was the context of giving, 10%. Um, the passages that I read talked about, uh, uh, talked about uh, giving a tithe. And so the, the, the percentage was an important part of that, uh, the context of giving in the Old Testament. But here he says that each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give. There's less emphasis on the amount or the percentage and more on intentionality and motivation. Said so that this should be something that we think about, that we pray about, we decide on. There should be a decisiveness, a purposefulness to our giving. And it ought to be, we ought to decide with our heart, not just with our head. You know, the heart refers to the whole being, the intellect, the emotion, and the will. God doesn't want our giving to be decided with intellectual detachment. He wants it to be something that we're into, that touches the heart. Now, we know this principle. We see it frequently in our own lives. You know, if I come to you on your birthday and say, here, I was told I had to give you something for your birthday. I hope you enjoy it. Or if I come to you and say, happy birthday. I really appreciate you. Here's a gift. I only wish I could have given you more. Which is going to mean more to you? Why would we expect God to be any different? God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now, here's where I have to be careful, because as I said, giving is part of my DNA. I just, I just give automatically. And, um, and I have to be careful that I'm, that I'm doing it with my heart, not just out of duty or habit. I see you still pass the offering plate. COVID has kind of has killed that at a lot of churches. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see whether, whether, the, how, you know, whether the offering plate being passed it still remains part of our, our custom after COVID's over, but, but so much has gone to online giving. I can remember several years ago when I was pastoring Ladner, shortly after I arrived there, we decided to start um, giving people the option of having automatic withdrawals. They could just have the, the money taken from their bank account. And, and so I started doing that as a way to support the initiative because I felt that as a disciple of Christ, my job is to give. As a pastor, my job was to share with my congregation the, the, what the Scripture says about giving and also to, um, to try to make sure that, they, that we were doing something that they felt good about giving to. Uh, but as a church, I felt it was, our, it was our obligation to make giving as simple as possible for people, and so we started this online giving. So every month, my offering just disappeared from my bank account, whether I noticed it or not. Usually the only time I really noticed it was when I hadn't been paying attention and there wasn't enough in the account to cover it, and then I had to go back and make that up afterwards. But, but um, and then, and now that I'm, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not uh, actually part of a church yet because we started looking for a new church and then um, COVID hit, <clears throat> but um, so we split our tithe with a couple of churches and it just all happens online automatically. So I have to be careful to make sure that this still is an act of worship, that I'm still consciously giving to God, even though the money is just automatically going. But again, there is a promise of blessing. God blesses us so that we can help others. And he goes on to say in verse 9, As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, he quotes in this, in this section, Psalm 112, verse 9, which is a psalm telling how God blesses those who are faithful to him. And again, in this passage, he promises to meet our need. It says that he will supply and increase our store of seed, that he will enlarge the harvest of our righteousness, that we will be enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. And our gen notice this, our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We've now come full circle. Honor God with your wealth. And then he fleshes that out a bit more in the next few verses. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. When we live with generosity, needs get met, 
we demonstrate our commitment to God and the gospel of Christ, and God is glorified. Now, I am fortunate here in that I come before you, I know nothing about you. I, I don't know what your giving habits are. I don't know what your spending habits are. I, I don't know anything about... So, so I'm not preaching to anyone here. And, um, and I'm actually thankful for that. I don't, but I just want to say that living with generosity affects how we interact with God and how we interact with other people. It's an attitude of our heart as much as it is a matter of money. It's more a spiritual issue than a financial one. God is a generous God. His whole nature is about giving. To the point where he gave his own son so that we could be forgiven, cleansed, and become part of his family. And our goal as followers of Jesus is to become like him. So living with generosity is part of our spiritual formation. If we are growing disciples of Jesus, we will be giving disciples. So the question is, what are we actually going to do about it? Because let's be honest, this is also a matter of money, about money. We can recognize the truth of this, that, that we need to honor God with our wealth, that it needs to be a priority for us, and that he has promised to bless us if we are faithful in it. But are we willing to follow that up with action? Kind of put our money where our mouth is. Are we actually going to live generously toward God and others as an act of worship and a work of love? Now, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus and you see this as your church, I want to challenge you to give. I want to challenge you to give. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, if you're still investigating Christianity, you haven't yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I still want to challenge you to become a generous person. There are many worthy causes and you will be better off if you live a life of generosity but above all else, I urge you to consider God's generous gift of eternal life. As he says, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We serve a generous God who calls us to generous giving, to generous living. And the way of wisdom is living with generosity. And I'm old enough to say with a certain degree of confidence, you will never regret it. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. You love them. You, you are actively at work in them. I pray that you would bless them abundantly. 
that you would bless them in terms of their meeting place, that you would bless them in terms of the, all the details around, um, uh, around how they can be the church in this part of Maple Ridge. And I pray, Lord, that they would sense your love and your care for them in a special way. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.